Welcome to refreshing, energizing business talk. This is Think Tank, conversations in a digital world, presented by SAP in collaboration with Microsoft and Intel. Get ready to hear from industry executives and thought leaders on the best strategies and technologies to drive your business forward in times of uncertainty and accelerate success. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome to Think Tank Radio, Conversations in a Digital World. I'm Bonnie D. Graham here with a very special topic. Listen up from She Session. That may sound familiar. We did that a few months ago to she covery, a made up word, but very appropriate rising from the pandemic. I have three very interesting, very passionate ladies on the panel today going to talk about this. But first, let me give you the buzz. I found an article uh, at CNBC.com by Emily Martin, who's a vice president at the National Women's Law Center. Listen up. This will set the stage for us. Women are in the bullseye of this pandemic. Now, Reference, this was written in May 2020 when we were just really getting into this. Women are in the bullseye of this pandemic in leisure, hospitality, education, health, and retail, the sectors that are getting hit the hardest. Women are the ones who are falling victim to the first massive waves of this economic crisis. Women are disproportionately those who do the lowest paid jobs in our economy. Women of color in particular are overrepresented. Again, that's from Emily Martin, National Women's Law Center. So let's take a little broader look here. From the 2020 start of the COVID-19 pandemic, it was apparent right away that the economic crisis affected women more than men. We all know it. It's reality check. 61%, according to some reports. In the she session, you can put a hyphen in that if you want, the financial challenges, juggling careers, taking care of children's education, in-person, not so much, virtual. Oh, my goodness, who's really the teacher now? Shortages of food and other necessities. We know what those necessities were when they weren't around. They fell disproportionately on women. Today, even as more people are getting vaccinated, the economy is opening up, thank goodness, and we're entering the she-covery period, which we all welcome. Some analysts project it may take at least a year for most women and several years more for women of color to recover from all of the above. So how can businesses, how can IT and how can technology use learning systems, financial guidance, other support systems to help female employees, their families and their communities expedite the she covery. We have Marianne Abajay at SAP. Marianne, you can wave hello. We are recording this on Zoom video. We have Denise Malecki at PwC. Welcome, Denise. And we have Allie Wyatt at Female Founder Collective. What an interesting panel we have. We're going to ask them for their insights on from she session to she covery rising from the pandemic. So happy to be here again. I'm Bonnie in the house and let's get this party started. Marianne, I'm going to put you on speaker view. Would you please do me the honor of telling us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and what's your passion for this topic? Marianne. Absolutely. Abigail. Thanks, Bonnie. Um, Marianne Abajay, I'm the Chief Revenue Officer at SAP Success Factors. I've been with SAP for about 14 years, but part of the reason that this topic is so close to my heart is I have four children. I took 10 years off when I had kids. Coming back was absolutely hard. It took years to get back to where I was when I left the workforce. So I am passionate about this topic. I mentor and help a lot of women, um, both those coming back to the workplace and those who are just starting, those who have been around for a while, um, and maybe even those who are very senior. 
So, Bonnie, I'm looking forward to the discussion. Thank you, Marianne. Very interesting background. I didn't know that, and I wasn't expecting that. So you were not in that she session, but you certainly understand the challenges of being a mom and a person in the workplace. Yes, thank you very much, Denise Malecki at PwC. You're up next, Denise. Please do me the honor of introducing yourself now. Great. Thanks, Bonnie, and thanks for having me today. It's it's absolutely a pleasure. So Denise Malecki, I'm a partner at PwC. I've been in this business now for more than 30 years. And a little bit about me, I grew up, most people don't realize, I grew up living all over the world, mostly in third world countries. And I had an opportunity to see the differences between men and women and how women really hold the world together. And as I started to think about this particular session and what's happened in this pandemic, I see here, not only in the U.S., but around the world, many, many women have struggled through this pandemic and taken on many different roles. And so I'm excited as the leader of our SAP practice globally and in the U.S. for life sciences. I'm excited to hear what the other panelists have to say and to share some views as well. So thank you. Thank you very much, Denise. Lovely to have you on as well. What interesting backgrounds. This is what makes you all real to our listeners, to anybody who sees the Zoom video. You're real people. You're in this. You're part of this world. And Allie Wyatt, can't wait to hear from you. Allie, welcome. Thanks so much, Bonnie. It's really wonderful to be here. Um, I am the co-founder and CEO of Female Founder Collective. We are a nonprofit and for-profit platform to bring global founders around the world together to help connect them in a really relevant manner, but also give them the skills training as well as resources that they need to make their businesses a success. Um, and just by way of more background, I um, I am really passionate about this topic because I had my first child um, now seven years ago. And I found during maternity leave that it was almost an impossibility. I had a C-suite job um, at the time I was working for Goop and we were in a startup mode and it was, it just, I found it to be an impossibility. I had no sort of colleagues that could help guide me through it. I didn't have any formal mentors. And I spent many middle of the night sessions crying and trying to figure out how I was going to continue to have a career um, as well as, as have children. So I think it's a lot of choices that women unfortunately have to make. As I watched my husband go back to, to work the next day, um, I felt alone. I felt isolated and um, and thankfully, I was privileged enough to have the resources, but most women don't. So um, it's a topic that I've been trying to figure out ever since and have been very involved as an advisor to some companies that are trying to help uh, create solutions as well. Thank you very much. Ladies, you're bringing back a memory I, I feel compelled to share. Young divorcee, 3,000 miles from family, living in Eugene, Oregon with a two-year-old and a seven-year-old had a degree, never worked a day in her life, needed to support her family, found a community college two bus rides away. She didn't have a car. She had to figure out how to get her kids to a babysitter who was three blocks away. In the morning, she walked the kids, one in the stroller and one holding his hand to the babysitter who took care of the baby and then sent the seven-year-old up the block to the elementary school. The mom walked another block, took 
two buses and went to the community college to register for computer science classes and was told that the classes were full, but wait two weeks and they would empty out because people would realize it was not something they really wanted to do. She kept coming back as she was requested by the registrar and in two weeks there was a space in the class. She graduated two years later with a 4.0 GPA with honors and the college hired her right out of school to run an educational reporting system for the state of Oregon community college system. She was divorced. She still had a car at that. She got a car at that point and the kids are fine. One is a doctor, one is a lawyer. And I am that girl who, who at 27 had to walk the kids to the babysitter and take two buses to go back to school to get two degrees. And I never thought of it in the context of was there help, was there support? I had to figure it out for myself. And it's very different. I'm getting goosebumps just remembering <laughs> that that was my story. And it's interesting hearing all of you going through this in a, in a very much more modern, automated, right, technologically uh, insulated world right now, how you're, you all are doing it and coping and doing it. So thank you for sharing your stories. And thank you for indulging me. I had to, I just had to chime in there. It brings back interesting memories. Yes, it's been quite a ride. Let's go to the part of, let's go to the part of the show where my guest have sent me really interesting quotes from movies, from songs that have nothing to do with the topic. And they're going to tell us how, in their own words, the quote does relate to the topic. So Marianne Abijay has sent us a wonderful quote, an iconic quote from Ferris Bueller's Day Off, a 1986 American teen comedy film. And I'm just going to read the line. Life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. Marianne, talk to me. What does this have to do with our She Session, She Covery? Well, it kind of goes back to that 10 years off. I didn't want to miss, miss a minute with my kids. Um, but even after I went back to work, I wanted to make sure that I put the important things first in my life, and that's my kids. So uh, there were times that I opted not to take a promotion, that I opted not to travel um, because I wanted to be there for my kids. I wanted to be in the classroom with them. I wanted to be there with their friends. Um, so I think it's all about choices. And, you know, for me, you, look, we're not in this to work. We're in this to live. And I want to make sure that I live life to the fullest, that I put my family first, and that I have no regrets at the end. Marianne, that's an iconic moment. Mark that down somewhere in the tape at around, uh, I don't know, eight minutes in. We're not in this to work. We're in this to live. That was a, is that an original statement, Marianne Abijay? It is. I just came, it just came to me literally. See what happens when you get on. And by the way, making choices. I said to my kids when they were in, in school, I said, you have a choice. You can study Spanish or you can study French. If you study Spanish, you're on your own. I have many years of French from high school and college. If you want help with your homework, pick French and I'm here for you. And that was that was the choice they both made. So it is all about choices. Yes. Okay. Thank you very much, Marianne. Denise has sent us a quote. Oh, song 1967 by Louis Armstrong, iconic singer. What a wonderful world. And the backstory is that the song was destined to be a flop, Denise, 
because the owner of the uh, president of the recording company they were doing it with didn't like the song. He wanted Armstrong to sing something upbeat like, hello, Dolly, hello. And this was, well, a wonderful world. And he said, it'll never sell. They kicked the guy out of the recording session and then a train went by and there were train whistles. They stayed till six o'clock in the morning getting the recording right. Louis Armstrong felt so badly about it that he took a $250 pay at scale, union scale pay to make sure the musicians who stayed all night were paid more to appreciate their overtime. Talk about being aware, right? And being present. And the song ended up being a huge hit, as we know. Here's the line. I'm going to cry. I hear babies cry. I watch them grow. They'll learn much more than I'll never, ever know. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. Denise, I hope I didn't kill that too badly. Go ahead. (laughs) Bail me out here, lady. Go ahead. So I picked that quote, as I step back and think about this past year, I think for many of us, it felt like the world had stopped and some wondered, would it ever, would we ever get back to any normalcy? Would we ever restart? When I had my first child, she's now almost 24. So I think, Allie, of of yours, you have some wonderful years in front of you. When I think of when I had my first child, I remember saying to my father, I said, I, I feel bad that I brought this this girl into the world because what a world we're living in. And, you know, is this is this going to be a great world for her? And my father told me, he said, every generation feels like they're doomed and every generation faces something and there is always hope. And you have to remember that we truly live in a wonderful world. And there are many, many great things that will happen. And at the moment, you may not feel that way, but there are great things that happen. And so as I, I think about that is my favorite song of all time. And as I think about what's ahead for us, while there's still a lot of work, we really do live in a wonderful world. Tomorrow, the sun will come up and there'll be new opportunities. They'll be different. It'll just be different, but it'll still be wonderful. And there we had a line almost from Annie. The sun will come out tomorrow. I don't know why I'm singing, ladies. I try not to on radio. I'm a drummer. I go to the other room and play drums better than that. But anyway, thank you very much, Denise. That was lovely. And Allie has picked a quote from the end from the Beatles' 1969 album, Abbey Road. This is, let me see, it was composed by McCartney, credited to Lennon-McCartney, the last song recorded by all four Beatles, the final song of the side two medley on that album, and it features one of the few drum solos recorded by Ringo Starr, near and dear to me. And he, and he was quite a drummer, although you mostly see him pedaling a bicycle in the videos. You don't see him playing drums very often, but he did. Here's the song lyric Ali has selected. And in the end, the love you take is equal to the love you make. Oh, Allie, I don't know how to sing it, but it's beautiful. Talk to me. What does this mean to us? Yeah, I think that we have learned in the pandemic that we all live in the same ecosystem. We all live in the same community. And therefore, it's what happens to the person next to us um, and their health is going to impact us in our own lives. I think it's it's really about that. It's about this ecosystem that we live in and the fact that we have to keep fueling love into the ecosystem in order to get it back. I think the other piece that's really relevant is that when it comes to mothers, everybody on this earth had a mom, right? And so when you think about taking care of mothers and ensuring that women can get back into the workforce, it's not, it's not just about women. It's about all of us because we all came from a mom 
at some point. Um, and so I think it's really important that every child receives love because that's the same sort of love that they're ultimately going to put back into the universe um, and create this wonderful world that Denise was talking about. Thank you, Allie. Thank you to the three of you for picking such beautiful quotes from such iconic movies and albums. I appreciate that very much. Now we're going to dive headlong, foot first, into the pool of the roundtable. My panelists have each sent me four statements on the topic. I'll pick one from each of you. We'll go around the table. Marianne, I'm going to start with your statement number one. I'll read just a little bit. It was wonderfully detailed. I appreciate that. I'm going to ask you to unpack it like they say on the news shows. And then when you're done about three minutes, I'll invite Denise to agree or disagree. Denise, don't be afraid to disagree with Marianne. She said she'd be very polite. And Allie, you get to agree or disagree with either or both. So you've got the lion's share, the lioness's share of work here to do. Marianne told me the following before the show. She says, even prior to the, prior to the pandemic, a meta trend was emerging among employers around the need to take a more holistic view on employee well-being and total worker health. I'm going to stop there. Marianne, talk to me. Okay. So look, as, as you said, um, we'd already started this process of focusing on employees' well-being, but COVID forced us to make it a business imperative. It is now at the C-suite. Um, I talk to CHROs every week. One of the things I hear from them is that their CEO, CFO, COO are very, very interested in how employees are doing. Um, some of the things that we see happening, and, and this is not going to be any surprise to any of you, um, employees say that their biggest challenges during um, COVID have been anxiety over layoffs or furloughs, uh, definitely mental health, and mental health from a couple of different aspects. You, you know, we focused a lot at the beginning of the pandemic on um, women who had kids and making sure that they felt supported. What we didn't realize is that young people who were living alone, perhaps in a small apartment, perhaps in a large city, who didn't have access to their friends, perhaps were not married, so literally were alone, that isolation caused them many issues. Um, child care, of course, has been an issue. Um, again, something we don't think about as much, elder care um, has been an issue. So some of these um, some of these firms that we talk with um, have focused on what they can do to really help employees. And one consulting company that I've worked with uh, did some really creative things. First of all, a 24 by seven um, call line, not for mental health. They already had that. This was more for, I'm a parent, I'm struggling with some issue, can you help? Um, another was digital parenting offering advice uh, from an expert for different age groups, um, zero to five, five to 10. And then you have the teenagers um, that what they found was very, very helpful. A really interesting benefit that a company I work with um, offered was something called Care Scout, which basically helps people find uh, adult care perhaps for aging parents, perhaps for someone with COVID. We don't know, but, but basically offers this to employees. So, you know, I, I feel like companies have really stepped up in this 
post-pandemic to help employees. They've put the employee first. And then back to the mental health piece for just a moment. Um, people of my age um, maybe felt that there was, you know, a bit of a stigma attached to mental health. Younger people do not feel that way. Um, unfortunately, many of the younger folks don't know that employee assistance programs are there to help with mental health. We have a little bit of a generational gap going. So what I've seen is uh, CHROs renaming those programs so that people understand exactly what is available to them and how they can be helped. Thank you very much, Marianne. Good overview of that topic. Denise, join us. Agree or disagree or just keep talking about it. Denise, go ahead. So, Marianne, loved what you had to say. And I've worked with a number of organizations mm-hmm. as well that have really stepped up during this pandemic. You know, for the first time, we saw women had to assume multiple responsibilities, working moms that they might not have had because schools were closed. Right. So many women were relying upon those schools to help them with taking care of their children if they were of school age. And so certainly we've seen organizations that have been providing additional assistance because all of a sudden moms, it fell more to moms. There are, of course, dads that did this as well. But we saw primarily mothers were forced to be teachers as well as trying to balance conference calls, kids running around. And so a lot of of those challenges, as you mentioned, and you talked about some of the programs that you've seen. I've seen similar programs as well with those organizations that I have worked with. The one area where I would say, I think, and, and you mentioned, right, there's more to be done. The one area that I think I worry about most are small businesses. And those are the ones that really struggle because they, they lack the resources at times to be able to afford their employees, those types of services, as well as some of these small businesses. And Bonnie, you mentioned the recovery, particularly for our Black professional female and just Mm -hmm. our Black women in general, is going to take longer because some of the businesses that they worked at are no longer in existence. Mm -hmm. And so we need to be thinking about what this pandemic has done across the board for women in particular of all different socioeconomic backgrounds. So whether you're working for a Fortune 500 company or you're working for a corner grocery store, I think what we need to be doing is going to be different based on that. Thank you very much, Denise. Allie Wyatt, join us, please. Thoughts? Yeah, you know, I agree with both Marianne as well as Denise. And um, I'm going to go a little bit deeper on what Denise was talking about because the reality is you have a lot of Uh, women leaving the corporate workforce, opting for a more flexible environment by creating their own, their own sort of companies. Um, So you have a large portion of uh, small businesses are actually run by women. And disproportionately, I think it's 64% of those are actually created by women of color um, in the past year. So you have a lot of small businesses in the United States that are being run by women. Now, the challenge is that I'm, a, I'm in personally a small business supporting a lot of different small businesses. You don't have the resources um, to be able to support employees in such a deep way. I do think it's incumbent 
on um, on companies to do so. But I think that's where the government probably needs to step in and help subsidize some of that support and create programs where you can, for children of different age groups and parents of those children, you can call and have virtual therapy, digital therapy, um, where you have mental health hotlines that you can reach out to, um, where there are physical activities that that um, you can support your employees with. So I think there's there's a lot of different things um, from a support mechanism standpoint that companies can be doing. But it's just that for small and even medium-sized businesses, it's very difficult uh, to be able to allocate the resources necessary to do so. Thank you, Allie. Marianne, it was a good topic around the table. Anything you'd care to say back to your two co-panelists? Yeah, actually, they both made great points, um, and I especially love the small business point. One thing I would add that I've seen um, happen is uh, companies have created manuals, workbooks. So this is something that anybody can do, how to ask questions about how your employees are feeling. Not a poll, not a survey, but actually talking to your employees Um, And so that's one thing I would say for small businesses that we can help educate um, our managers on exactly what questions they can ask and how they can help personally with those folks. But you're absolutely right. The resources are just not there for small businesses right now. Thank you very much, ladies. Let's move on. Denise, I've selected statement number three from you. Let me read just the first two lines and then ask you to take it apart for us. You say, the importance of digital knowledge became very clear during the pandemic. We saw firsthand those who had access to high-speed internet and the proper technology from those who didn't. I'm going to stop there. Denise, unpack, please. As we talked about, Bonnie, in the previous question, we started to really see that across the spectrum of our women and their families, there are those that are very fortunate. Uh, I think Ali noted, right, that, you know, we're blessed, right? We really are. We, we have so much that is available to us. There is another population, though, we particularly see in some of the cities in the rural areas that don't necessarily have the same things that we have. And in this case, what I'm talking about is, you know, high speed internet. And so as children were being asked to do classes remotely, we really started to see this divide between the haves and the have nots grow even more. And I believe that women take on more of a burden typically than men in terms of trying to equalize that. And so here we had women that were trying very hard to balance working if they still had a job, along with making sure that their kids could be taught, as well as just taking care of themselves. And if they were not allowed in offices, you know, how do you, if you have multi-generational families living in the same home, how do you manage all of that when you don't have, you know, high speed broadband internet coming into the home? In some cities, we saw the the government step up and we saw some of the the cable companies stepping up and helping, but I think there's still a bit of a divide there. And so what we look at and what I think about when, when I speak with different organizations is that we need the entire population to step up in terms of their digital IQ. I think we see generational differences. Younger people tend to be more comfortable uh, than maybe that some of those 
of us that are aging, you know, in our population, but we really need to upskill all of our people so that the technologies that are available to us and the way in which we interact, this Zoom call, for example, how many people really used Zoom prior to the pandemic? How many knew how to have background or how to behave and what to say? Um, we talked earlier about those that have dogs that are running by, cats that are coming in, children that are that are at our sides. And so as I start to think about the recovery I think there are silver linings that come with it as well. And I think back to an article I read very early on when this pandemic started about the 1918 pandemic. And in that case, women were the winners and men were the losers because women um, had to work, take more jobs because the, the, that particular flu was killing more men than women. But the other thing that came out of it was the need for sanitation. So I asked myself, what comes out of this one? You know, what are one of the silver linings out of this one? And I think the ability for people to get digitally savvy and get better upskilled more than just my iPhone reading what's happening, you know, on one of the social media sites, but really learning to use technology to advance my learning, to advance my career. And also, I think there's um, still plenty of work that needs to be done to start to close that divide that we saw really open up between the haves and the have-nots. Thank you, Denise. Very interesting. Yes, you, you touched everybody with that statement. Allie Wyatt, let's get your take, agree or disagree. I think I know where you're going to go with that. Go ahead, Allie. Um, I definitely agree with that. I think the big question then becomes, you know, who is responsible for providing that and at what sort of intervals? And that that's something that I've scratched my head about as well, right? When you see a family struggling to get online because they don't have great internet and they're in a rural area, um, whose, whose responsibility is it to provide them with broadband that makes it fast enough for their child to connect. And you did see, like you said, in specific cities, they were providing iPads for kids to take home or um, different types of computers for the kids to take home with uh, a hotspot. But um, I, I certainly think it has changed the way that we need to interact and our need to be able to be remote and actually um, survive and thrive in a remote environment. So I very much agree. I just think the, the looming question remains of whose responsibility and, and how ultimately do we get there? Thank you very much. Marianne, we're going around the table to you. What do you think? Uh, look, I mean, I agree 100%. What I would say is that um, as far as the upskilling goes, we already see that happening in the schools. We see our kids knowing more about Zoom and backgrounds and, you know, everything than, than we do. So that's definitely happening. But is it happening for adults? No, I don't think it is. They're, they're muddling through. They're figuring it out. But it's tough. So I definitely think upskilling is a big part of this. But, but obviously, the infrastructure is key. The infrastructure has to be there. And back to the question that Allie raised. Who provides that? How does that get there? Um, and living here in Central Oregon, not too far from Eugene, Bonnie, <laughs> um, where you were, I can appreciate it because we have, sure, I have the highest speed internet I can have here, but it's nothing like what you would have in the Bay Area or New York or Chicago. Um, so we, we definitely need help with the infrastructure. And I do feel that the government's going to have to step up. Thank you very much, Denise. Good conversation starter. Would you like to say anything back to Allie and or to Marianne, Denise? 
Just a couple of things, right? I think um, the one thing that that I feel very confident and happy about in terms of a silver lining here is that the speed at which we've seen change occur has been phenomenal. And so I believe just as, you know, there was a time when not everybody had an old-fashioned telephone in their house and then everybody had one, right? I think what we're going to see is um, probably more of a public-private partnership is going to need to solve the issue in terms of getting the right technology to the right areas. I totally agree with Marianne on the digital upskilling for adults. You know, we actually um, have a digital upskill program we released at no cost throughout the world um, during this pandemic because we recognize and we see with our clients as well, many struggled, right, with this new way of working. And this new way of working isn't going away. We're only going to see technology continue to to cycle even faster than it has been, which is amazing and hard to believe. But I think that um, we will figure out how to do this, but I do think it's going to be a combination of public uh, and private partnership. Thank you very much, Denise. And you mentioned the phrase silver lining, and that happens to be the lead on statement number two, Allie Wyatt sent me before the show. So I just texted Allie and I said, let's stay with the silver lining theme. I like that because we're looking for positives. We're looking for how are we moving from she session to she recovery. So here's what Allie said. Let me just read the first line here. Very important. Allie observes, one of the silver linings of the pandemic has been that women have been able to work from a place of their choosing. They don't have to take off from work to go to a doctor's appointment or pick up their child. Well, yes, let's look at the silver lining and the flip side of all of that. Allie, I'm putting you on speaker view. Go ahead. You know, I've been very fortunate in that the past, um, call it eight years, because I've been in a satellite office, I've been remote working. So the transition for me was not a huge one, Um, but it also underscored and sort of proved a theory that I've had for a very long time, which is that um, if you have, if you empower employees and give them flexibility, they will be accountable to you and, um, and they'll still provide the same sorts of results. And I've always believed that people should be able to make their own schedules and, um, and be able to work during the hours that are optimal for them. I think particular for women, huge lining of the pandemic. Yes, it's been very difficult to work from home, but at the same time, you can you can work from home. You can you can work from your your bathroom, you know, you can be <laughs> if you're on maternity leave, you can be holding your baby nursing while you're on a conference call and you you don't have the stigma of having to go to your boss and say, you know, I have to pick up my kid from um from school today or I need to take my kids to their doctor appointment. Uh, and that's a really, really wonderful thing. And I think that it's shown corporations around the world that you can still have impactful employees, even if they're working from a place that they're choosing. And that is a huge realization. Um, now, I think the the challenge is really going to be as we sort of revert back to a more, more office-centered culture again is how do you continue to maintain some sense of flexibility? And what can you learn from that, right? Do we have sort of reduced working hours so that moms can get their kids to school in the morning or parents, I should say, not just moms, but any, you know, fathers can drop off their kid at school and not feel like, you know, they're missing the their first, second, third meeting of the day and that they have a manager who's going to be judging them or, you know, sort of 
thinking less of them as an employee um, and their commitment to their role. So I think there's a lot of different things that we can start to think about from a flexibility perspective using the technology that Denise was referencing to help ensure that that continues to be a mainstay of, of roles and, you know, what is even a full remote um, role within your company look like? And can it still exist? You know, you have tons of people that move to, to different uh, cities throughout the U.S., smaller cities in many cases where they can afford to live or rural places because they can afford to live. Um, and so I, I also think it might even change, you know, what you have to pay people in order for them to be able to have a, a fair standard of living. Thank you, Ali. Interesting. As a broadcaster, I've been working from a home studio for years and years and years, and I appreciate that. I still dress up to go to work every day, and it's a very long commute for the, the rooms in my 20,000-foot mansion, square-foot mansion. I just want to mention that. No, not really. Uh, but the point is that I appreciate that, that the time came when people say, you're going to come and do the radio live in the office? I said, no. I have everything I need. i got my microphones. I've got my, right now, a green seat. And somebody mentioned that we we advanced some of our technical skills. I think it was you, Denise, when the pandemic came, I did radio on the phone for 20 years, Denise. And around April of last year, I said to the radio station, can I bring all my radio shows for SAP and other companies I work with? Can I bring those onto a Zoom platform? And they said, let's try it. And we figured it out. I now would never go back the other way. I get to see you, Mary, and I get to watch you think. And Ali, I get to watch you talk. And Denise, I get to watch you react to them. And it's a wonderful thing adding that technology. But I had to take a risk to do that is what's the comfort level? Listen, not everybody's happy with being on screen when they're on the radio. So there are all kinds of cultural nuances, but I digress. Ali just spoke. So I'm going to you, Marianne, please comment back on the silver lining Ali just talked about. Marianne. Absolutely. So I think the silver lining continues, not just for employees, but for organizations in general. During the last year, 93% of companies have figured out that most work can be done remotely. Mm -hmm. um, and interestingly, of course, 80% of employees have said, I don't want to go back to the office. So it's actually a competitive advantage right now to allow remote working. And many companies are making changes, even ones who historically were office cultures. So I think there's silver linings all the way around. Oh, and the last piece I'll mention is real estate. Um, because many companies are realizing that that big building that was very expensive to maintain in the big city is unnecessary now. So they're saving money from that perspective. And of course, that money hopefully will go into programs to help employees, uh, women in particular, around childcare. Thank you very much, Marianne. Denise, love to get your thoughts on what Allie shared and or what Marianne added. Go ahead, Denise. I just love this topic. And, and as I think about the organizations that I work with, they're all trying to figure out now, do we, as we start to see offices reopening, do we require people in the office five days a week? And Allie, to your point, you know, is it even necessary? And Marianne, you brought that up as well. So, you know, my hope is that we get to someplace in the middle, because I do think we see in our youngest, you know, our younger generation, 
in the small apartments that we talked about, right? That there is a feeling of isolation. And then there's this, this level of anxiety and depression that occurs and, and they need to get out of the apartment and they need to be seeing each other. We need to see our people. And so I think it's, we're going to see a mix and that's the silver lining piece that we have learned that many jobs don't need to be done full time. But I think the challenge for us is going to be on the HR side, how do we continue to create mm-hmm. deep relationships and personal relationships? Because alongside of realizing that I probably know more about people because I see them and I see their background at home, I probably know more about them now than I would have had this pandemic never happened. I do miss the ability to actually sit across from somebody, break bread and have a conversation. And I think we're going to need to figure that piece out because I think we need to make sure that this pandemic hasn't changed us so much so that we begin to devalue the human interaction that we see. And never mind all the industries that depend on us getting out of our houses and getting into hotels and airplanes and mm-hmm. rental cars, et cetera. So um, I love what Allie and Marianne said. I love this silver linings, Allie, that you had. And I'm excited because I think the it, it benefits women probably the most because many women who had trouble coming back into work or felt like I can't balance, I can't do it because I have smaller children, they now have options. They have options that they didn't have before because there are things that they've learned through the pandemic and employers have seen, hey, I can have people that aren't actually in the office. It can be hugely productive. So love this topic. Revelation, right? They can be productive. We can imagine and reimagine and reconfigure work a different way. Allie, briefly, any comments back to Marianne and or Denise? I just think the the one thing like Denise and Marianne said, it's what is that going to look like? It's exciting to sort of think about the solutions that we can put into place, but um, but obviously very much agree with with what they said. Thank you. I'm going to squeeze in one more topic here, something we probably covered a little bit, but I want to dive into it. It's from Marianne, statement number three. Marianne says, one trend we are absolutely seeing is companies calling on their employees to own their own learning and development as more and more organizations buy into online delivery of programs. Marianne, just give us a brief overview into this. I think it's an interesting final step in our conversation today. Marianne, go ahead. Sounds good, Bonnie. Yeah, I mean, learning's changed. Learning is not the old-fashioned, hey, you've got to do a compliance class and it needs to be done by X date. Learning is about what we can do for the employee so that they can truly bring their whole self to work. So that may include mentoring. It may include doing fellowships outside of your current job. It, of course, includes compliance training, but it likely is going to include training that is not provided within the company. It may be on YouTube, it may be on LinkedIn Learning, but it's basically giving employees the choice to upskill themselves and to reskill themselves. And of course, over the last year, we've seen this happen in many industries, Um, airlines in particular. There were pilots and flight attendants on the ground for months and months. They had to learn new skills. They had to be reskilled in all of the new rules and regulations on flying. And so they took advantage of that, but they did that on their own time in many cases. The company was paying them, but they did it because they wanted to, not because they were mandated to. 
Thank you very much. Let's quickly go around the table. Denise, thoughts, please? Lifelong learning. I think we've learned through this pandemic that as we've had to reskill, that the new buzzword around town seems to be let's all be lifelong learners. And as Mary Ann said, it comes in different forms. And so I'm excited. And, I, and again, I come back to technology has really helped push, you know, Mary talked about some of these platforms have helped push out all kinds of learning. And learning isn't sitting in a classroom anymore, taking four hours, right? You can learn in sound bites. And so I just love it. And I agree with everything Mary said. Thank you. We'll take that agreement in the spirit in which it's conveyed. Allie, Wyatt, any thoughts on this topic? Agree or disagree? Go ahead. Yeah, I do. I do agree. Um, I think it should be incumbent on a lot of the companies where you want your employees to have certain skills um, to be providing the um, to basically be underwriting them learning that. But I think um, it's we are going to see more employees need to develop certain skills as well. So very much agree. Thank you very much. Ladies, we're just about done, but I want to do a quick crystal ball round the table. Just 60 seconds each. I think we can encapsulate a vision for if we were going to have this conversation. I hope we will. Let's say it's now, today, it's middle of May 2021. Let's say we were going to have this conversation one year from today, okay? What do you think we would be talking about? Would she recovery be a fact, a fait accompli, as the French say? Would it be a done deal and there would be nothing to talk about other than looking back and saying, yes, everything we talked about on the Think Tank show today has come to pass. More technology, more equalization of access to tech, more choices in how and where we work, more opportunities for learning and development, more caregiving, more support for families, more options for women to start businesses. I think I've covered most of the topics hopefully we've covered today. So Marianne, I'm going to let you go first. If you care to share a prediction, what would we be talking about one year from today? 60 seconds, that's one comma, one semicolon, a one dash, and a period. Go ahead, Marianne. Uh, I think we're going to be talking about the fact that we still have work to do. I do think things changed much more quickly than we ever could have expected in 2020. And I think the reaction has also been swift. But I think there is going to be more to do, especially as you get into the small businesses, as we've discussed. Larger organizations, I see they're making changes. They're moving quickly. But I think the, the mass number of small businesses will will be struggling in a year. And I think we'll still be talking about these things. Thank you. Denise Malecki, you're up. Prediction. I think what we're going to see, very similar to Marianne, I think it's a journey. I think we're going to see ourselves um, a few steps into that journey. I think as more of the world becomes vaccinated and we get this pandemic under control, because it really is not under control uh, worldwide. I think we're going to see probably more progress here in the U.S., not so much when you leave the U.S. And I think our challenges are going to be how do we get more equality um, from a global perspective. Thank you. Ellie Wyatt, prediction, go. Um, I agree with both Denise and Marianne. I think specifically, though, it's there's going to be a huge conversation around whether or not these sort of flexible practices at work um, and remote working are working um, and, and whether or not to sort of continue them. Because I think September sort of marks the time when everybody is either going back to the office or not. I've 
heard a lot of um, individuals, a lot of my friends work for large corporations and they need to be back in in September full time um, at their offices and they've moved. And so now they have to think about, oh, I need to move my families back. Uh, So I think you're going to see the first quarter or first two quarters done of what is the new sort of office culture look like. And I think that's going to be a major topic um, in the go forward. Thank you. And I have a prediction. The three of you will continue to be brilliant. You will continue to be savvy. You will continue to be contributors to an evolving culture of women in business and women in the workforce. And I predict that I will be delighted to meet with the three of you again for a future Think Tank episode. So on that note, I want to say thank you formally to Marianne Abajay at SAP Success Factors. Thank you to Denise Malecki at PwC. Thank you to Allie Wyatt at Female Founder Collective. Thank you to Brad Borkin, the sponsor of the series, and Jamee Beebe at PwC, as well as to Lisa Chalmers and Kim Leslie at SAP. And a thank you to Matt Widener, our engineer at Voice America Radio, the business channel. So we hope you'll join us again soon for another episode of Think Tank, conversations in a truly digital world with new perspectives from SAP strategic partners on business, IT, and innovation. Everybody wave goodbye. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning into Think Tank, Conversations in a Digital World, presented by SAP in collaboration with Microsoft and Intel. Keep the conversation going by tweeting your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAP Radio. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again on the Business Channel next time. Thank you.